Good morning, Cornerstone. Hey, if uh, you can, would you please stand uh, as we read uh, God's Word from Hebrews 13, 1 through 16. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is a reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marty. Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are better. Jesus, you have a better word for us. Jesus, we pray by your spirit that you would stir in our hearts, open up the eyes of our hearts, illuminate these words that we have read, such good words, Such challenging words. We pray, God. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would speak. We know that you do speak. We pray that you would stir in us and help us to listen. Pray, Lord, that in this moment, Lord, would you make me an instrument of your grace and your mercy? You put a guard over my mouth so that only your words, only your thoughts would come. We invite you to speak. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, I am finishing up Hebrews with really the the. the, the 
practical, the pragmatic, the application part of Hebrews. Next week, Pastor Doug is going to wrap everything up with the benediction. But here in Hebrews chapter 12, or chapter 13, we've just spent 12 whole chapters getting at the theology and the doctrine and the truth that hopefully you have come to know by now that Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's got a better sacrifice, a better word, a better way, and we're called to a better faith. And so hopefully by now you understand that Jesus is better, or at least you're reminded of this. And then in this sermon in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is then going to get, in light of the fact that Jesus is better, going to focus on the better way. The better way. This is a focus on a, our response to the reality that Jesus is better. And it is framed here in light of verse 1. It says, let brotherly love continue. A reference to a family kind of love. You ever heard someone say, hey, I love you as a brother or as a sister. It is speaking into the church, into God's family about this love and talking about a better way. And in Hebrews, this was incredibly important. You see, the church at that time, there were two ways going on. There was the way of the Hebrew the Jewish way with the ceremony and, and the temple and the law and the Torah. And you pretty much needed to be Jewish to be a part of this way. And then there was the Roman way, the pagan way. The way of having all these other gods and this other way. And then here, there's this third way in the early church that is being proclaimed. A third way where Jew and Gentile are united in Christ. A third way that he is getting after the better way, the best way. And this message is just as important to us today. So important to us today. Many would say, even here in America, in the West, sometimes we think philosophically that there might be two ways. Maybe politically. You use the words conservative or progressive or whatever you may say. You, could, you have all sorts of different words to define different ways. And it seems to me, once again, we're reminded in Hebrews, there is a way of Christ that's the better way, the best way. I think this is so important as we get after this point and we ask this question, what is the better way? Man, every week I've been stirred up with how incredible Jesus is and that I'm a part of this covenant family. How do I respond? Well, guess what? Today, this is all about the church's response to the better way, not the way that we earn the better way. Hear this, our response to grace. And so right off the bat, as the author of Hebrews is speaking to the church, remember in chapter 12, he is challenging the church to say, you need to have acceptable worship. In light of everything that is going on, have acceptable worship. So the first thing I want that is going to identify God's people, the people of the better way, is there's this radical hospitality. 
radical hospitality. And the radical hospitality says this, I am generous with what I have been given. I am generous with what I have been given. Look at what it says in verse 2. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, can we just pause and think about how awesome this statement is? Most people would say, the scholars say, that here the author of Hebrews is referring back to a a story, a narrative of Father Abraham about how he entertained these strangers, you know, and, 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 and hosted them and made a meal for them, and they were actually angels of the Most High. And there's this theme in Scripture that as you entertain people, that you should be thinking about them as possibly angels. And the author of Hebrews is making a statement that I think oftentimes in our modern age we miss, saying literally that there may be angels unawares in your presence that you have the opportunity to host. And those angels will be strangers. The word for strangers, the, way, the word for welcoming the stranger, let me, let me make sure I get this word right, is philoxenia. Philoxenia. Love of stranger. It's, this word for stranger is getting after a point that I think is really important different than you, looks different than you, maybe talks different than you, walks different than you, comes from a different context than you, and the church is called, in the context of the church family, to welcome the stranger. This flies in the face of so much of our comforts. And, this, and the, I call it radical hospitality, but I want you to hear this. This doesn't mean that it's just totally extravagant and doesn't mean that you have a culture among you that, like, you know, uh, we need to uh, have a filet mignon dinner when we welcome somebody over. It might just be saying, welcome the stranger with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, like, like that's total, or for me, probably mac and cheese. That's about the best that I can do. But the point here is that you're welcoming the stranger. And here, this is important here. In this context, he is speaking to the church about other Christians, particularly. You see, in those days, there was traveling Christians all over, and there were not hotels. You couldn't just go to the Holiday Inn. Actually, most of the places that you would stay were, were, were dangerous, and, had, and had, had tons of sin and temptation all around. And so there was this call in the context of Hebrews for the church to open up their homes to those that were visiting, to those that were from far off, to those that were from a different culture but had come to know Christ, and not just to welcome them for a couple days, but to literally open up their home, open up their family to the love of church community. 
And this was radical. And this is so radical, even for us as we think about what it means to practice hospitality. And it was meant in particular to be thinking about the church together, gathered together, and loving and showing hospitality to, each, to one another, having brothers and sisters over, letting them stay with you. But, it, but hear this, that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to show hospitality to the non-Christian. That doesn't mean that. There's a special emphasis here, but that doesn't mean that I just reject all hospitality. You've you got to read all of Scripture to understand God has a heart for the stranger and a heart for showing love to all people. I think Paul gets after this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. There's a focus to hospitality. And so we see this radical hospitality. But we also see, hear this, a radical empathy. A radical empathy. And the radical empathy makes a statement. God's people say something like this. I am ready to identify with the suffering. As I open up my home, as I open up my life to those around me, it's not sympathy, it's not just, oh, I feel bad for you. It's empathy, it's I feel with you. It's I relate to you. And this is once again so challenging to us. This flies in the face of so much comfort. Look at what he says here in verse 2. Here's, here's what he gets at in verse 2. It says this. I'm sorry, verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though, here's the empathy, as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So when you're opening up your home, when you're welcoming the stranger, someone that is different than you, someone that may be out down on their luck, someone that may have a struggle going on, not only do you open up and are you generous with what you have, with what God has given you, but you also have this desire to feel and struggle alongside. This is why I love, like, we just announced this visiting program where we get to go to our shut-ins and get to go to, go to those that are, that, are, that are stuck at home and visit with them. And this is not just about doing good things. It's about feeling and, and bearing the burden together as the church family. Have you ever had someone when you were going through something Struggling through something, I've been learning this about pastoral care. Oftentimes, what somebody truly needs is not an answer. They just need a presence. Presence with a C. When you are grieving, when you are hurting, when you are dealing with shame, and then a brother or a sister shows up and cries with you, or walks in and says, I have no words, but I'm here with you. Or calls you up and just says, I was thinking about you. I just want you to know I love you. 
or says, I, I, I'm with you. I don't understand why you're going through this. I feel that tension with you. Can you just feel? Have you felt that? I have. And that's what the church does. There's this empathy, and it's radical. Because we don't like taking on the emotions and the struggles of other people. That is exhausting. It's exhausting to say, you know what, I can throw money at you. I can, I, I, can, I can buy you a meal. But for me to actually take you and have a meal with you and sit down and talk with you and hear your story and, 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 and deal with all of that, that's radical. And that is what the author of Hebrews is getting at. There's this radical hospitality and radical empathy. But hear this also. This is incredibly important. There's also a radical ethic. We miss this oftentimes today. And it's this. I accept God's way as the best way. You know, as I've been studying this text, it felt like the author of Hebrews was all over the place. It's like he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm a very linear thinker. I love formulas. I love, I love things to kind of flow and to have this beautiful. And I'm thinking and reading this text, and he's like, okay, show hospitality. Okay, show empathy. I get that. And then all of a sudden, he, he starts talking about marriage. What in the world are you talking about? What kind of mushrooms were you eating when you were writing this? What was going on? What is happening? How are we, what does this have to do? And once again, he's talking about an ethic, and he is writing to the church that is truly in the middle of a culture, in the middle of a pagan culture, where, where sexual promiscuity and, and sin of all kinds was rampant. And there were plenty who would say, you know what, grace is enough, just receive the grace, do your thing, you're forgiven, just your way is fine. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, there is still a holy God, remember last week, a consuming fire. And there is a way that God's people live. And church, this is challenging. Church, in our day and age, this is incredibly uncomfortable. Look at what he says here. He says here, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Once again, it's going back to what we believe in Scripture to be the ethic that sex is something that God created for us. Something so beautiful and something so wonderful, but sex was something created for a husband and a wife in marriage. And everything outside of that is sinful. In church, that also means premarital sex. That also means cohabitation. That also means same sex, the better way, the best way to experience what God has given you is in the context of marriage alone. And you may be feeling a little angst about that as well knowing that our society would say, 
wow, that is incredibly intolerant. But if we believe in a better way, and we believe that Jesus is the better way, and we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, we have to believe this is the better way. And we have to believe that it's for us and out of love. And it's not about condemnation, and it's not about judging someone that is not a Christian. It's literally saying, for those that are part of God's family, for those that believe this to be true, we believe this is the better way. We believe this is the best way for everyone that was created. We believe in a God that created us to be in this beautiful, sacred, incredible relationship. And anything outside of that is sin. It's missing the mark. And that is so difficult and so hard to preach and so hard to accept. And for many of us, when we hear that, we recognize that we may have been living outside of that. And there's response that stirs up in us about that. But it's the better way. So we see this balance here. We see this love for the oppressed, this love for the stranger, this love for those that are different. But then we also see this determination to hold on to the ways of God, the law of God. And then... And after he gets after this ethic, there's also a radical economy. Not only is there this better way, it's also this statement that God's people make that say, I am content with what I have, content. Would you just, if you have your Bible, would you just circle that word content? Oh man, in the Western world, in America, this is such a hard word to grasp. Look at what he says in verses 5 through 6. Why are we content? Okay, well, look, at the, look at this point here. He says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I am content because I have Jesus. I am content because I have God, and everything that he has given me is enough. I don't need more. That doesn't mean that I'm lazy. That doesn't mean that, I'm, that, that I don't use the resources that God has given me for his glory, but there is a contentment. There's a resting in this, and so we have this radical economy, and this is so important because this radical economy must flow out of a radical hospitality and a radical empathy because if we're going to be a people that are constantly giving things away, that are constantly opening up our homes, that are constantly giving to the kingdom of God, our finances will be challenged. There will be times when we think, I don't know that I can make this gift. There'll be times when the Spirit stirs in us to love somebody and to give to somebody, and when we give away money, that is money that we could have used for other things. So we see this radical 
economy, and then finally we also see, hear this, a radical submission. The Christian, the person that's the, the people of the better way say, I am empowered by my leaders. I am empowered by my leaders. There's an authority in the church that the author of Hebrews is getting after, that he wants the church to understand. Look at what he says, and I want to read verse 7, and then also it's reiterated in verse 17. Look at what he says here. He says this, remember your leaders. Leaders here is your pastors, your elders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, preaching, teaching, Consider, remember that consider word, that is an ongoing thought. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over you. Many, you see a theme in scripture of your leaders as shepherds. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Oh, man, that's scary. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And this flies in the face, once again, of consumeristic Christianity. Whereas I think about the churches that I'm involved in, I think about the so many opportunities, oftentimes am I submitting to the vision of those above me? Now hear this, this does not mean blind submission. Unfortunately, your leaders are still human. And there is a such thing as spiritual abuse where Christian leaders use their authority for evil, their own narcissistic tendencies. You must have a caution, and you still are called to have faith and to challenge things with Scripture. But there is a piece of us that says, I'm not going to be consumeristic. Even though we didn't sing the songs that I wanted to sing, I know the words were so good. Even though they're not doing the programs that I want them to do, I know that where we're going, I know that this is important. Because I trust that God has placed them above me, elders and pastors, to shepherd me. This is radical. And as we think about this, the question that may be stirring in your head, maybe one of these five things, or maybe all five of them, they should all feel a little radical. They should all make you a little uneasy to think about your life and to think about, man, am I living that way? For me, when I read this, I think, whoa. Especially in 2020, when we're like, we're not supposed to have people over? (laughs) Sympathy, empathy, hospitality? Generosity? Why? Jesus, why, if if you have done all of this, why so radical? I'm happy you asked that question with me. Let's just slowly get after this in verses 8 through 12. Look at what it says here. First, 
Author of Hebrews tells us in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. For some of us, we would say, oh man, that was just back then. This is different. No, Jesus Christ never changes. God never changes. We serve a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we read scripture, we believe that there are biblical principles, ways that speak just as much into us as they did then. That God never changes, that the gospel never changes. So this is relevant to my life. This is so important to me. And then there's a warning. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened. And how are we strengthened? What motivates us? Grace. Grace, a gift of something we do not deserve. Not by foods which have not benefited those who devoted to them. And then he's going to get into, once again, looking at the ceremonial, the, the, the old way, the old covenant, the way that God's people would be in a relationship with God and looking at this and showing us this radical grace. Look at what he says. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. He's talking back about the tabernacle, about the priests. He's talking about a new covenant. He's talking about how the old covenant is now obsolete. He says this, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. They were outside the camp. They were rejected. So Jesus... Also, Jesus, Jesus practiced radical hospitality. Have you not seen how often he would simply open up his arms and welcome brothers and sisters in? Jesus, the one who walked with tax collectors and prostitutes. Jesus, the one who would turn loaves and fishes into thousands to feed a hungry multitude. Jesus who would pause and heal and listen and forgive. Jesus who God himself became flesh and dwelt among us. Is that not empathy? Is that not taking on our pain, our struggle? This has been the, 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 the theme of Hebrews. Jesus, the great high priest. Jesus, who perfectly models to us this way of God's people, the better way. We see it in the person of Jesus, not just in what he spoke, but in the way that he lived. And look at what it says here. So Jesus... Pause for emphasis. Or maybe I'm just lost. Suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify, change the people through his own blood. Oh, church, 
We must get this. Oh, church, as we think about hospitality, we remember the greatest hospitality that has ever been shown, the greatest welcoming into the kingdom, into the family of God that has ever been shown. Because hear this, when Jesus died on the cross, in order for us to be welcomed, he had to be cast out. He had to be cast out the opposite of hospitality. The one who embodied it all, the one who lived perfectly, look at what happened. Look at this on, look at his death on the cross. It says, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which is, and for the first time when he talks to God, he doesn't talk to God as his father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Brothers and sisters, friend, we are a people of hospitality because <laughs> Jesus took on what we deserved. This is the gospel. This is grace. This is why it must be radical, because the cross is radical. Because grace is so radical. Church, our way, our better way is radical because hear this, we are a radically different people, radically changed by God's radical, radical grace. We are radically different. We are told that when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has come, the old has gone, the new has come. You are changed. You now are becoming more like Christ. That's what sanctification means. Because of your justification, because of what he has done on the cross, that radical act, we are radically changed. And therefore, the way that we live is radically different. Don't miss this. Don't put such an emphasis on I need to go and start doing all these radical things if it is not flowing out of the radical grace of God. We must. We must get this. This is the fruit of our lips. It grows out of an understanding, a personal understanding of what Christ has done for you. So then we ask ourselves, how then shall we live? That's the question that we ask. Oh, man, this radical grace. How then shall we live? This radical grace is something we get. There's a story of Charles Spurgeon. He had an orphanage. And there was another preacher named Joseph Parker. The story is that Joseph Parker, in one of his sermons, was making a comment about Spurgeon's orphanage. And the word around London was that this orphanage, that, that, that it wasn't being ran very well. And so people were, were starting to think, see, oh man, we got a bit of a pulpit war. Spurgeon versus Parker. 
And Spurgeon came up and he preached. Uh, and if you know anything about Charles Spurgeon, you know that he did not spare words. He was very strong, and he and he and he just totally just attacked and defended this cause of of his orphanage. And so people showed up to Joseph Parker's church the following week, ready and anxious to see, like, you know, to get the tea. See, what is Joseph, that's that's like hip language of saying, like, what is he going to do? And he gets up there and he talks to his congregation and he says this, church, I know that Charles is not in the pulpit this week, and they're raising funds for their orphanage. And because he is not, I would like to, as a church, take a love offering for them. And they took the love offering, and they took so much, they had to take it three times because it was so full of this radical generosity. And later that week, Charles Spurgeon came to Joseph Parker, and he said this, you know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. He said this, you have given me Not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. Church, grace is what we need. And when we practice grace and we receive grace, it's also what we give. That is what creates radical generosity and hospitality and empathy and and, an ethic and economy. It starts with grace. Don't miss this. So as we ask this, as we think about this, our first response together as we think, how then shall we live? Here's the simple truth. Go to him. Look at what it says here. In light of this. Therefore, in light of this, let us together, church, go to him outside the camp. Go to the one who gives the grace. Go to the one who welcomes you, the one who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon upon you for I am gentle in heart, gentle and lowly in heart. Go to Jesus who offers you that grace undeserved. It does not matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if your ethic or the way that you've been living has been contrary. You go to him and you bring it to that radical cross and you leave it there. But you let it change you. And we continue to preach and speak this gospel and sing this gospel and remind this gospel to each other. Go to him. We go to him. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Can you put that up there? It says this. Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. and You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make a real rest. Walk with me and hear this also, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of, here's that word, grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that sing? 
We must not miss the personal presence of Christ himself that is a gift of hospitality and grace to us. But hear this, church. Not only do we go to him, we also leave the other ways. We leave the other ways. Look at what it says in verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. For many of us, we can get so caught up in other ways that run contrary to the kingdom of God. And we leave those ways because of grace. We leave those ways. For example, for some of us, some of us introverts, when we think about hospitality, we recognize that our privacy may be challenged. Our security may be challenged when we start to open up. You're like my family with five children. It is pretty hard to have a house that is well put together when you invite people over. I love this about my wife, Brianna. She loves to have a clean house, but when the kids come over, she just kind of deals with it. Amen. Amen. I see a lot of moms nodding. We leave the other ways of saying my privacy and my image and my, my need to have the world think that I have it together, I just cast that out. We think about our images on Facebook and Instagram and needing the world to see something that is not true. We reject that, and we just say, this is who I am. I leave the other ways. We are a people that share. We are a people that open up our arms, even when our arms are messy, even when our arms are dirty, we're all cleansed by the grace of Christ. For some of us, this may mean that there's things in our lives, sinful things that we have been practicing that we need to leave. Perhaps it's a struggle with an addiction. Perhaps it's a struggle in a relationship. Maybe it's our own pride. Let's not miss this too. If there's pieces about us that need to leave those ways and hear this, that doesn't mean that you just say a prayer today and all of a sudden, like, you never have those struggles again. Sin is something that we, we fight together for the rest of our lives. You may say, I'm never gonna look at that pornography again. Amen, let's pray that that never happens. But there's still a struggle and a fight and you must still continue to fight. You may say, I'm never going to lose my anger again, and I'm never going to blow up on my child, and then you do, grace. But church, we do leave those ways. We don't live in those ways. Leave those ways, don't live in those ways. Perhaps for some of us, there's a bit of a greed in our hearts. There's a bit of a need to have wealth and prosperity and to keep everything in. Think of the Christmas carol. And for some of us, we may just need to start giving things away. We need to recognize we are not a people of greed and security. We are a people that have been given so much hospitality, so therefore we give it back out. 
This is who we are. It flows out of us. Radical grace. And so, church, we go to him, we leave the other ways, but hear this, don't miss this, we also never stop praising him on the way. We never stop praising him on the way. We are a people of joy, we are a people of gratefulness, we are a people of gratitude. Look at what it says here in the final verse. Stay with me. This is so important. It says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's why in Micah 6, 8, it says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. We are a people that when we say we have a better way, we are on the better way, and therefore we sing and we praise on the better way. And the better way is a way. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an ethic. So I just encourage you and challenge you to embrace this truth today. Together. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are the better way. Jesus, there's just so much to unpack today. There's five sermons in one in each of these points. But Jesus, we recognize that each of these points, if we go back and look at them, if we think about the words that we filled in, they spell out grace, generous, ready, Accepting, content, whatever the E letter was. Jesus, may your grace right now in this moment be what strengthens us. And Heavenly Father, as you speak into us, as we sing of your creation, as we pray together, as we sing, if the rocks cry out in worship, so will I. I pray, Lord, that the rhythms of your grace would speak right now into our hearts. That no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter what our struggles are, that we would recognize that it's been paid for, that it's been dealt with, and that we leave it with you, and that we are righteous in your eyes, and we give it to you, and because of that, we sing of how good and powerful and how great you are. And Lord, for some of us, we may have been walking in this other way. We may have been walking in a way that is contrary to this way. For some of us, maybe, we've never actually prayed to receive your grace. In this moment, if that is you, I pray that you would pray this with me. Jesus, I receive your grace. I didn't deserve it. I'm a sinner. I have fallen short. But you have reached out in your hospitality, in your radical grace, and you have saved me. Thank you, Jesus. I declare that you are my Savior. You have saved me from all of this mess by your grace. And I declare not only are you my Savior, but you're my Lord. May you reign in my heart. May you reign in my heart that has right now in this moment been radically changed by your grace. And for some of us, we may, as we pray this, just 
need to come back to these truths. As we sing these truths to be reminded that we are a people that are called to draw near. That every week when we come to worship, that every morning when we rise, that every evening when we go to sleep, our call in life is to go to him. To go to him that tells you in this moment, hear this, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. May we rest in this, Jesus. So we sing to you. And we thank you and praise you for your grace. And we pray this together in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and sing together?